0: Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, this morning, as we prepare for this uh, gospel conversation and race, um, I'm not going to preach at all, really, but I I just want to kind of preface our time a bit. Um, there's a scripture that I commonly use a, a lot here as we think about the church and how the church gathered together, and that's Acts 2.42, where it says, this is right after, uh, this is Pentecost, where the, the Holy Spirit has uh, come down on the people, and they all have spoken in native tongues, and 3,000 people have gotten saved, and it says, and this is right after Peter's amazing sermon, after he had denied Jesus and all these other things he stands up and gives this sermon and 3,000 people get saved and it says that in Acts two forty two that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching uh, to the breaking of bread the fellowship and the prayer and so part of that is what you hear on a Sunday morning all the times are teaching us preaching to you but a big part of that is fellowshipping and breaking of bread and there's prayer too and today we're gonna kinda do uh, this is gonna be a, a frame of kinda of fellowshipping together uh, we've done this every year where we've come together and had a necessary conversation pertaining on the, uh, the topic of race and the gospel. A lot of times we try to separate uh, what happens in our stories and our narratives and our ethnicities and say, well, we just got to preach the gospel. Here's the reality. When Jesus died on the cross, he died ver- vertically for us to re- be reconciled to God, but he also died horizontally for us to be reconciled to one another. Uh, and in, in the United States with the history, as we all know, uh, with uh, the plaguing of racism and, and and slavery and the civil rights move, all the things we had to walk through here to get to where we are today to even have a multi-ethnic church, there's still a narrative, there's still a story uh, that each one of us have, but there's also a historical narrative that uh, exists here in America that we have to weigh through and we have to work through in order to see true oneness that uh, Jesus asked for and prays for in John 17. And so, what we're going to do today is, is simply just have a conversation. And I'm going to bring some of our staff members up here in a minute. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to sit here, and, and my hope is to model a, a conversation or a fellowship, if you want to say, which extends into the breaking bread part of this because you can't necessarily. I'm going to just say this, and you, you may feel like this is contradictory or not true, but a lot of people just say, well, you just need to preach the gospel. You need to preach the gospel, and people will come and, and lines will be crossed and all of that, and that's not even true biblically. Jesus crossed lines with people that didn't look like him, uh, didn't, didn't, that weren't enemies of the cross, people that wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily hang out with, and he did life with them. And so in order for the walls of hostility to be broken down and racism and all these things to be torn down... We got to do life with one another, and and the simple way of doing life with one another and and seeing these walls come down is sitting at dinner tables. How many of y'all have a dinner table? Come on now, we're coming out of COVID, they're taking the mask, all these other things. How many of y'all go out to eat now still? Don't lie, y'all go out to eat. And so going out to eat, it's a simple way of sitting across from somebody and having a, a time of fellowship. When you sit at a dinner table, you kind of let your hair figuratively, I don't have no hair, but you let, you let, it, you let it down, right? You just, you just be yourself and you're, you're sharing what happened through your week and what's going on in your life. And, and that's where those walls are broken down. And I want you all to be intentional with those conversations and intentional within who you invite into that space with you so we can actually see a, a authentic, multi-ethnic, multicultural relationships happen because those, it's going to be some tough conversations, which is why we're going to model it with you all today, that we got to work through to learn each other's narratives. Sometimes you'll get figuratively slapped in the face by some of the things that will be said, but no, it's not about you. That's someone's story, and you're entering into their space and hearing them out, and so we're going to do that today. We're going to talk about race and emotional health as in the last few years, but even as you'll hear in some of their stories, this has been a uh, something that's been there since day one of their lives, and the last few years have triggered different things and things of that nature. But I want you kind of, kind of to glance into the conversation, and the hope is that you go away, and you seek to do the same thing in your lives with others. Don't let this Sunday moment be the only multi-ethnic, multicultural experience you have throughout the week. All right. Amen. With that, I'm going to welcome, come on up here, the panelists. Can y'all put your hands together as they come up here? It's not easy to talk about story and things that you go through. Let me grab that mic. All right, y'all, what's up? Y'all ready for this? Some of them nervous, y'all. Pray for them, okay? Um, yeah, you can take take your mask off. Um, well, I just want to start by, I, I think some everybody might know, or some of you all may know who is on the stage, but these are all staff members here at Renewal uh, Church, and um, as you can see, we have a very diverse staff, and this is just some of them, and I just want them to kind of share a little bit about themselves, just share your story a bit, um, ethnic background, et cetera. Who are you? Let us uh, get to know you a little bit. I'm gonna let you go first, Grace.
1: Hey, everybody.
0: Yeah, turn it on. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm.
1: Hello. There we go. Good morning, y'all. Um, my name is Grace. Originally from Nashville, Tennessee, um, from the from the South, the dirty South. Um, I was born and raised in um, a Nigerian household to two immigrant parents. Um, with Uh, also a very feisty grandma who made sure we knew our culture, um, knew we were Nigerian, Um, and I think for me, on the uh, topic of race and emotional health, for me, I think race and my heritage and um, who I was was always in my face at an early age. Um, Being in uh, a Nigerian household, but in American world, Um, I definitely felt um, isolated, didn't fit in. I wasn't, you know, black enough for the black folk, white enough for the white folk. And um, everything about my experience was just different in a lot of different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think um, for me, race and um, the way you look, your culture, all that was always in the forefront. It colored so much of my childhood, my upbringing, and even today. So that's a little bit about... Me, I'll pass it to Lauren.
2: Hey, uh, my name is Lauren Harvison, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, Wisconsin. I was born in Wisconsin, so my blood's actually green and gold. Um, Oh
0: my gosh.
2: But (laughs) um, I grew up in, uh, actually we were Catholic Christians to start out, um, and we moved around a lot. And so we never lived anywhere super diverse. I can basically count how many people of color, we had like one age, like it was just not super diverse growing up. Um, but that was always something that was just normal to me. It was not, you just love people, right? Um, so we moved to Naperville actually when I was a junior in high school. And um, my best friend, the first person I like, became friends with um, happened to be a black woman and she's still my best friend to this day. Um, So I think that kind of started my story with diversity, and like how we experienced life together, and being seen out in public, and we'd get weird looks, um, that kind of thing. Now I am married to an amazing black man. We have three um, amazing sons, and so I think a lot of the past couple years has just been processing what's happening in our country, and how that's super personal to me and to our family and how we navigate that as we go as we go along
3: blessings y'all uh my name is ramon i am a uh pastoral resident here and uh i am a third generation uh latino i'm puerto rican um yeah i love that love (laughs) it um and so just growing up, I, I was raised in a, in a single-parent home. My mom was a superwoman, and uh, she was raising three boys. And, and when I think of my, my ethnic cultural experience and even something like emotional health, uh, man, we, did, we didn't have much space for it. You know, we had to go and just succeed and work as hard as we can. Um, it was cool to know who you were and, like, you, the heritage you were proud of but like don't cause ripple effects because not everybody rocks with that, you know? And so you kind of try to stay in your lane, but my immediate context growing up in Chicago, uh, I grew up on the west side of Humble Park, and so uh, a big minority community, so um, I understood culture differently, and um, it was celebrated there, but when you started as I grew up, one of the, the places that the tension grew fastest for me was as I got older in school and lunchrooms became very segregated. Like mm. I, I remember specifically like sixth grade, I walked into the lunchroom and I was like, yo, like, why aren't all my friends like chilling with me? Like everybody seems broken up. And I remember going home and my mom's like, honey, just just find your space. Mm. And I was like, but that means I'm not kicking it with my friends anymore. Uh, and, and high school really, Built on that even more and more, uh, and so you you I started understanding that tension even more of like, man, who am I? Where do I fit? Um, I have some privileges that you know other Latinos don't. Um, my experience isn't the same as my other minority friends. I'm just gonna try to just try to fit in where you know where I can and just move along and, and establish myself as best as I possibly can because the goal is to be successful because my mom has worked really hard to allow us to be successful. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, it caused this tension of like, I don't know how much to celebrate of my culture. I don't know how much to like put away. And, and
2: mm.
3: given where we are today, um, I feel I'm, I'm about to be 30 years old and I'm like, you know, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm becoming aw- awoken to my own ethnic uh, beauty and how to celebrate that and give that away and share that with people.
4: Mm. Uh, and enough.
3: so, yeah, that's where I'm at.
4: Yeah, Pastor Steve, I've introduced myself a couple of times. Um, but I, I am ethnically uh, biracial. My father was African-American. My mother was white. Um, and I grew up in Indianapolis, on the northwest side of Indianapolis. And uh, I, I was thinking about this question earlier, like how, how did I end up the way that I am culturally? And I was thinking back, as I went to a funeral uh, last Tuesday for my aunt, that my my dad's family, the African American side of my family, is much more intact than my mother's family and much larger. Um, So sometimes you'll see, like, this is my cousin. This is my, there's like, you know, you'll see a cousin pop in with me uh, at church and stuff like that. Um, And then I grew up going to uh, Second Missionary Baptist Church of Richmond, Indiana, and uh, my cousin, was married to uh, the guy who was the the pastor of the of the church and did some of my first preaching in Black Baptist churches. So Living Word Baptist Church on East 21st Street in uh, Indianapolis and uh, my parents were to like came together in the 1970s. So there was like a there was a fight to be together. Right there was they were trying to remain hidden uh, in a lot of ways um, and so the idea of being uh, Valuing diversity is like a part of my DNA. Like it's a part of, uh, it's a part of everything that I, like I grew up with. This is very, very important, um, and we fight for this. and and, um, and my parents are from a small town in Indiana, so in my mind, everywhere is diverse, right? And then when I, when uh, Pastor Derek and I on the northwest side of Indianapolis, uh, man, maybe the middle school was sixty percent black and forty percent uh, other, and and Um, and so friends with basketball, baseball, football, um, I do remember like the bas the baseball team had eight black starting players on it. So it was like, yeah, that, that was a a bit unusual, but that was just very normal for me. Um, it just, it just felt very, very normal. And then fast forward to, uh, probably high school. Uh, I got into just with my closest friends, like we sold dope and, um, Ran around with gold teeth and 22 inch rims on the on the bubble caprice, and that was just that was just normal too. Um, and so I, you know the the form of black excellence for me was not really uh, like Derek's family was like black excellence to me because his granddad was a doctor, and uncles were doctors and stuff like that, and that was my extent of understanding that, but mine was more kind of country and, and hood a bit. Um, and, and so, yeah, but, but inherently, like, there's this value of diversity, this importance of diversity, and I, I don't think it was until I got to um, Chicago that I realized that people live very segregated lives. Um, I do remember having a baseball teammate in, in college who was like, yeah, my dad referred to black people as the N-word when he saw them on TV, and I was like, whoa, what in the world? Like, <laughs> like that's crazy to me. Um, and so there's kind of even like a, still a frustration that I have with people who have lived segregated lives cause it just doesn't make sense to me.
5: Mm. That's good. Yeah. Tony Dentman, I work with the college students, younger adults at the church. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, grew up in the hood. So, um, I mean, it was, I, I started thinking about the first decade of my life. I didn't meet a white person in, in like real life other than TV, um, and then in like fifth grade, I got shipped out. They started this program in the Lou called desegregation program. Mm. So they shipped off the inner city kids out to the birds, and they shipped me to probably the best school you can go to in like St. Louis. So, um, so in about fifth grade, I was in like a rich Jew uh, school, at, uh, Jewish school, and and it was I mean it was a a, a unique experience. So I just tell people like my daytime. Was like all white rich white people and my nighttime was all poor black people so I didn't see black mm. excellence until like after I graduated college you know so those like the two different worlds I lived in um, and then I go off to college and a college minister came into my life country white dude uh, shared the the gospel with me and got discipled in a, a white ministry but my mother actually came to know the Lord uh, early in my life and we were we went up and we went to a black Catholic church, a black church of God in Christ church. It was black everything. It didn't matter what the it was. So, uh, so I lived in, I feel like I always lived in two different worlds, you yeah. know? Um, so that's kind of been my, my experience. And then I married a Hispanic from Panama. So uh, we diversified our family a little bit. So kind of see those three worlds, so.
0: Good, well, now that we got to know you guys a little bit, what I want to do before I jump into the rest of the questions, I just want to pray for us really quickly. Uh, Father, thank you for who you are, God. I thank you for um, just this time we have, God. And even as we've just shared shortly just of who we are and our stories, God, I pray that even as we um, talk through some questions and talk about emotion and hard feelings and things that have stirred up in the last couple of years and even through our life, God, I pray that um, you would be here in this room, that you would be in the hearts of the folks that are listening, that are engaged in this conversation. God, I pray that we speak freely. Um, we talk about how we feel and things that are there. Um, a topic and a conversation that's much needed, but I don't think it's highlighted, um, especially in our space or our culture in America, where we're taught to just uh, lace up our boots and and keep moving. And so Lord, I just pray, um, as we've all went through these last few years of this or a ca- couple years of pandemic, um, as many of us that are saying, I can't do that anymore and I'm struggling emotionally. And so God, I pray that it, Now, even as we walk through this, that it would stir in the hearts of your people to have the needed conversations and counseling, whatever it may be. Uh, But God, that we'd work through this and we'd be the healthy church that you've called us to be um, and and cross lines with individuals and and see lines of division break down because of the dinner table conversations and discipleship that's happening Um, in Jesus name. Amen. So in light of your stories. Y'all, the last couple of years have been crazy. It's been a tough couple of years. We've had a pandemic, COVID's re- reaping wreaking havoc. I mean, in the in the city of, of Chicago for sure. And we've seen the division uh, across uh, lines of race and ethnicity being highlighted because of people that have died, specifically black and brown, um, more than white here in our city, which is uh, speaks to the division. But I really want to talk about you know just what was it in the last couple years and it may be your lifetime just that it really kind of took you to a place emotionally that um a place of unrest a place that has stirred things in you that you didn't even know were there you know whether it be um George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or uh, what happened last uh, was it January 6th um whatever it may be you know just in the last uh, couple years or so just want to you know, just what, what is it, what's happened in your life that's kind of, um, where are you right now emotionally? Um, and talk about some of those events that have really impacted you in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'll kick it off. Um,
5: when it comes to like the race stuff, I mean, I, I had probably 20 years of, of dealing with two worlds, like, like yeah. extreme worlds. Um, and I feel like, I remember my parents sitting me down right before they shipped me out to the Burbs. So this is like 10 years old. They see me on the front porch. It's my, my grandma, my mama, my auntie, and this neighbor. And it's like, hey, Tony, you're going off to school. There's a purpose for you being there. It's to get educated. You're going to experience racism. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be isolated. But the purpose of you is to get your education. You know? It's like yeah. So I've been trained at an early age, like, hey. You're going to experience racism. You're going to be discriminated upon. But there's a purpose, you know. Yeah. So even so, that's what it was in high school. And then we played football together. I experienced some discrimination. Somebody called me in words like, hey, I can't to win a game. So I, I forget that. My purpose is to win the game. My purpose is this, my purpose is that. So over time, i become, like, callous to just a racial tension. I mean, let 20 years of, like, extreme worlds. Um, but dang, bro, uh, 2020, 21, uh, it got me. Like, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm normally pretty good at navigating the tensions, but I don't know if it was just sitting at home on the internet or ain't having no purpose. I felt, you know, I couldn't leave a crib or nothing like that. But man, I was like, man, I remember talking to my wife, like, man, I can't, I can't do this. And my tension wasn't just white people. My tension was white people and black people. Like, I feel like I was trying to like bridge a gap and it was wearing me down. I was on a roller coaster emotionally. I was like, forget white people, forget black people, forget all of y'all cats. Um, because, <laughs> of, um, man, it, it was just like, the bridge became so wide, and dude, I ain't know where to stand. You know, I ain't know what to do. Well, I was, I was like that, man. And I'm normally a person that is like callous and non-emotional, but I had to turn off the internet and was like, forget this. So, it was, it was white people text me, it's like, hey, man, I stand with your brother. I'm like, forget you. Black people are like, man, forget the white people. I'm like, forget you too. You know,
0: it's like, so, so I was, I was done though. So, yeah, we went on several walks together, right? Like few miles at a time. <laughs> Just talking and processing. Yeah. Right Grace.
1: Um, yeah. I Similar to Tony. I feel like when you, I mean, grow up in a world that is, race is always before you. These things always happen. You kind of, you know, you build up these walls and these defenses to where, I mean, I got to get through my day. Yeah. You know, like, things happen all the time. I still got to get through my day. But it was something about the death of Breonna Taylor that. And I also not—I'm not super emotional. Things don't really, uh, at the surface, don't rock me like that. But I remember when the news of Breonna Taylor's death came to light, and for me, as a black woman, as a Nigerian woman, so many different things. The first thought I had was, "Wait, she died in February, mm. Mm. and it's what June?" Mm. Wow. Wait, she died in February, mm. but it's the summer, wow. you know? Yeah. And I just, I was just like, wow, like this just reminds me that nobody sees us. Mm. Nobody, nobody wow. ever sees us. Wow. And I think that just, and, and something as, as big as a, a death, right? Something as big as someone's life being taken for, I mean, no reason. And so that really um, just took me to a place of feeling isolated, feeling alone. Going back to the the the, the parts of my story where I felt like, man, I'm not seen. I'm 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 always the one that's left out. You know, the, we know we rally for the black man. We um, we rally for. Um, Uh, women's rights, which was led by, you know, white women. We we rally for all these people. But when it comes to grace and people that look like me, Mm. I'm never seen. And so I think that also took me on a, I mean, crying out to the Lord um, and just feeling thrown to the side. And, you know, you get the texts, you get the phone calls, you get the flowers. But it's like, but this happened in February. I don't need flowers now, you know. And so I think that was, Breonna Taylor's death still, I think about it um, at least weekly. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's that colored my past couple of experiences, these past two years.
2: Wow, so. thanks for sharing. I think I turned it on. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, just to follow up with what they said, like 2020 was real, I don't think, being a white woman, I didn't have to experience that trauma of not being seen my entire life. Um, I think 2020 brought it to the surface because it's super personal to me, being married to a black man, raising three black sons, who in America will be seen as black, even though they're biracial. It's like, just kind of processing all of that. Um, And 20, sorry, 2020, Like, the police, and the injustice, um, my brother's a police officer, I'm married to a black man. Um, Mm. Talk about bridging the gap, those hard conversations of, hey, this is real, I'm worried about my brother who's getting death threats because he's a police officer, and Mm. that's what happened, and that's real, and I'm worried about my husband if he gets pulled over at a traffic stop, and the wrong person who hasn't been, whatever their experience was, that makes them makes him a target and then my sons who are out there god forbid they're carrying a toy gun or something so it's 2020 excuse me the motion is like real and um just having those hard conversations with friends or family members who have lived in all white towns haven't been they're like you're married to a black man what i'm like yeah he's a human being like It's just a wild um, array of emotions and navigating all of that and how to talk to my sons about the way the world is and why it's like that because Mm -hmm. it makes no sense. Like, I love you just like I love any other person. And um, so 2020 was full of emotions and clearly still is um, something I'm still processing and navigating and just, I think, seeing the death of George Floyd like I just see that could be my husband, you know, like those things um and being a white woman and I think it just brought up like all the like this this is a real trauma that has happened and is still happening and how can I be like be the gap but I can't, you know? So it's a very like helpless mm-hmm. and um just unsure place. I remember actually and then COVID brought up a whole new level of you're seeing things on social media so you're not actually able to sit down and have conversations which makes it even harder because that communication is not accurate or real i remember meeting with my best friend who's a black woman at um costco and this was like the height of the racial tensions and covid and we literally stood in costco and just stood and hugged each other and the looks that we got were like insane because people Mm. are like you're bad you're bad it's just crazy and then covid you're like don't touch me um (laughs) so it was just real and we just stood there hugging just feeling all of that emotion yeah and me being like i'm here for you i don't know what i can do because i can't do anything but just having those conversations with people who don't aren't experiencing all of that because they're it's real perspective is real right so
0: that's good
3: yeah i think uh uh, a word that hits me is, is uh, hopeless. I, I definitely felt at the start of uh, COVID in 2020 and everything that's happening, um, seeing the the unrest and all that was happening, I was living in one of the most saturated uh, Latino communities in belmont cragin which is northwest of here, um, to see how COVID was running rampant there. Um, I, I, another piece to this is you know, there was a lot of tension on ICE raids and, and immigration and things that were happening. Um, And so to build on that, I felt hopeless because I, again, I realized, uh one, I wasn't busy enough to not, uh, uh, to be able to avoid these things that were happening like normal, right? COVID put a stop to everything. And so America had to realize there was problems because there's not busyness to cover it up. Mm. And so, I had to look at that at myself. And I was like, yo, I'm, again, my experience isn't, uh, I don't have certain privileges, but I also don't have certain things working against me as you know, those that come into America as, as immigrants and migrants and things of that nature. And so in the Latino community, um, such a fear was present, right? Like the pandemic's hitting, you're worried if you're gonna die, and then you're also worrying if your family was going to not be there tomorrow because they went to the store to go and get the necessities they needed for the house. Hmm. Like what a what it, it felt like it felt like an old Western uh, where I lived, like, you know, just tumbleweed, because it felt like everybody was afraid of the big bad wolf, whether it was covid or it was ice. Wow. That tension was real. And I felt like. Well, my normal response is like, well, I'm okay. But what about my neighbors? Mm-hmm. Man, this is, this, is a, this is real. And my daughter was the one that really, like, I think God used to really pry my heart open. Because she was like, Dad, what's going on? Why, why do people hate other people? Why are, like, people getting kicked out of the country and treated like animals and kept in cages? Those, she, she saw these pictures of these concentration camps for, for those that were route, uh, rounded up by ice. Hmm. And I'm like, honey, there's not a homework assignment. There's not a, there's not a, a task I can just defer to right now. I got to sit in this. I got to feel with what your question is asking me to feel. The pain of so many people that I love and I can't be selfish right now and just think about myself. Mm, and so wow. I felt helpless. Um, wow, man. And I just seen faces of, of people that I've called family. Whether friends that are, are black or friends that are immigrants, I seen their faces. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Mm. So I, c- I couldn't avoid my normal tactic of just suppressing emotions and acting like I don't have emotions. Right? I'm a man. I don't have emotions. Yeah, that knock was only getting louder and louder and louder until it it completely ripped open and and I found myself in a very and Pastor Derek and Pastor Steve will attest to this, I found myself very depressed. Like I don't know what to do. I care for people and I'm very active out there. Like I I engage people, I talk with people. I can't even do that. Like I was struggling. Yeah. So
4: I would just say, you know, 20, October twenty seventh, 2019, my mother passed away, uh, April of 2020, my grandmother passed away. And so there was a lot of grief happening in, in my heart. Um, and I was just like, man, I don't have the bandwidth for the, for the rest of this stuff. And so friends were calling me saying, uh, you know, did you watch the video? You know, I'm like, what, I'm going to watch an eight minute and 47 second video of somebody being strangled to death. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't have the emotional <laughs> capacity to like handle that. And I, I do think like, man, maybe it was the Holy Spirit that kind of protected me in that time period because friends would be calling me. And I, I think, you know, I spent the past six years in a white evangelical church and I had done the work of trying to bridge gaps and I was tired. Um, and so, And then at at the end of the day, I'm like, man, if people don't see their culture and realize that they're calling other people to assimilate to a cultural value and not like an actual biblical value, and they have all of these cultural values, then uh, if that picture of laying down your rights for the benefit of others is not a thing that you're like actively warring against and pursuing, then I'm I'm just tired. And so... um, yeah, I remember friends calling and saying, man, if there was ever a time when like America is listening and that white people are listening, it's now. And I remember thinking to myself like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna burn myself out if I engage all of this uh, conversation. And, and I did have like white pastoral friends that I maybe I went to Bible college with, or Steve, what do you, you know, I'm the, you know, the, the one minority person that you know, so you called me. Uh, and I was like, I'm cool. Um, I just didn't, didn't engage. And uh, I think one of the reasons why um, as I shared, just the amount of grief that, that I was going through, I, I knew that I had to protect myself um, from burnout. And, and I, I felt like, um, you know, I lived my life with my uncles telling me stories and, and knowing stories of my father. And I think that there's a, the, the emotion of anger was present just because i lived with those stories and knowing mm. those things happened uh throughout the past uh the history of america and i'm like why people care now because it's on videotape mm. um wow. and so and and i'm just i'm just saying that that's my natural reaction of like this is the thought that comes across my mind um and so and, and maybe even a self-preservation kind of thought um that relinquishes my need to engage.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. And thank you all for sharing. Um, we do this, I mean, we did this weekly during the pandemic, I think staff meetings and and processing emotion and talking through these things. And so I say that to say that uh, as you can see, emotions are still real and we're still going through it ourselves and, and letting you into this. And I pray again that you all engage what's going on within your hearts and your own, um, emotions too. But in light of what you had just said, uh, Steve, I want to dive into that a little bit more. Um, you, you talked about, you know, being in white spaces and churches and, um, and and any of you guys can answer this, but there are a lot of Christians, and we've talked about this throughout the last couple of weeks we've mentioned it, there's a, there's a movement of kind of deconstruction um, in our faith, and, and, and there's really and not even just deconstruction and just, I think that's healthy in a a lot of ways. We're walking through some of the dynamics of history here and how, whether it be misogyny or uh, white evangelicalism, all these things that have kind of touched and impacted our faith. But there's folks that are not doing that, they're actually just leaving the faith. And um, I, I would love to hear from you all. You know, you all are in ministry on staff, just sometimes I don't think we're kind of the forgotten when it comes to things like this and saying, well, we just need to be out there and minister to people. But I'd love to hear just kind of how this has been a struggle for you all in your own faith and just, you know, weighing through this and you touched on it a little bit, but you know, some of the things that you've had to do and, and go through doubts, whatever it may be, deconstruction of your own faith.
4: I'll jump in just because I, I preempted the conversation. Um, I think that for a lot of African American people who maybe your first generation to go to college, and you have Tony's story is your story that you got saved through uh, a white ministry and disciple, and people loved on you, and and kind of in the process of that, like um, you might have fully kind of ascribed, and this is not what Tony did, but I think that it's a normal thing to do, like fully ascribe to what white evangelical spaces uh, their, their value system and their, uh, the way that they, their understanding of scripture. Um, and then you, you, George Floyd happens and now all of a sudden, uh, there's this move against the wokeness or there's this move against, yeah. uh, uh, you know, th- this is uh, Marxism or whatever, you know, people want to call it. And then you, there's like, what in the world? Are these people that I, that I got so much from now, they, are posturing themselves as like an almost like an enemy towards me. Mm. And I I think that one of the things that we have to remember and one of the things that I had to remember um, is that God is not the God of white evangelicalism. Um, And and even though you have your frustrations and your angers and things with the way that people respond, um, that God is not representative of the way that people didn't apply his word the right way um and and for those of us um and and i think one of the things that you see this this sort of lifted up in is those who of us who are people of color who don't have a person of color that was deeply influential in your spiritual development and so what i'm able to track back to is no cj neal still follows jesus and loves jesus and he's he you know there's still a uh, a tradition and uh, a longevity of following Jesus and Christ's followers that is not a part of whatever this new wave of things is. The black church has had uh, a Christian witness long before right. um, anything in white evangelicalism uh, kind of became the 21st century, uh, uh, you know, what are white reform, John yeah. Piperite kind of uh, background you come from. Um, there's always been this Christian witness, and those things are really, really important. And so I had to actually pray, God, don't allow me to see you the way that people are presenting you, but allow me to see you the way that you present yourself. Mm. Um, and I I kind of get frustrated with people who, and, and this is I'm just saying my raw emotion yeah, yeah. is like frustration because I'm like, Doc, you mad that white people don't agree with you on this? <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> they didn't agree with Martin Luther King Jr. What what you, what you want? Like there's always gonna, there's always gonna be a group of people right. who, you know what I mean? But there was always a Christian witness in, in minority spaces. Yeah. So, um, so from my perspective, uh, it's like, that gets real frustrating frustration going on in the world. Like, like I think Tony shared earlier, like my purpose is to do this. So like all this other stuff is all this other stuff. Um, It doesn't mean that that stuff isn't real. It is real. But my mom died. I don't care that some dude I barely know from college, you know, is anti-woke or, you know, I I just don't care.
1: Mm. Anybody else? I can share a little bit. I think for me, the whole, like, deconstructing faith and, and my personal story and it's funny because we're talking about deconstructing now. Yeah. And like similar to Tony, came up in a, you know, white ministry, but grew, was born and raised in the black church. And I mean, the black church, you know, we run around shouting, you know, Holy Ghost, speaking to all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Why so coming into, here, you know, y- y- y'all ain't ready for that, okay? <laughs> um, but because, you know, I'll be holding back up Sunday. So um, but uh, I remember coming, getting Uh, say through this white ministry which I'm so grateful for um but just learning all these different things and I remember the first time I went to a white church uh and we were uh in Orlando and it's like the the very end of service and I'm I'm ready you know for the the preacher to get up do the altar call you know they played a little organ you know get the shivers down your spine and everything and (laughs) you you walk up to front and you know rededicate your life to Christ all that kind of stuff that's what I grew up on nothing happened and I was like wait what is going on? Where's the optical? Where's the orchid? Where's, what is happening? Um, and I remember coming outside, Tony was there. I said, Tony, what is going on? Like, how are people going to get saved, bro? Like, it ain't just about the gospel. We need to save folks. He's like, grace, like, that's not how it works in every church. And so I remember learning about what Christianity looked like from, you know, uh, to me, a white perspective. And then being discipled and learning so much and growing so much in this ministry, starting to reject some of the things that I grew up with, started to deconstruct, like, oh, this is the gospel and this is not. This is Christian and this is not. And then coming full circle to now where I'm like, man, like, there's just so many things that I'm even having to deconstruct from when I first, you know, started walking with the Lord. Because that's just just not um, the full picture and so, I, I think about now, like, even when I re- figured out what the word discipleship meant and coming home and tell my mom, oh, my gosh, this is what discipleship is, da-da-da. And then years later, realizing she was discipling me since I was
2: mm.
1: two years old. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And so, just, I think for me, like, I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with deconstructing some things because if we're being honest, we all need to deconstruct yeah. some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... I think I have learned that when I deconstruct past the foundation that is Christ, mm. past the rock that's supposed to be my foundation, there is no constructing I can do after that.
0: Mm. Come on, you about and to make so me shout.
1: Let's go. I think <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm telling y'all hey. y'all ready, I'll go there with you. Um, but I I think for me, I have and still learning what true Um, just sifting through what the scripture says is true, um, how God has wired me and how that relates to edifying other people in the body, but also glorifying God. And I think that's the battle, the struggle that's going to probably keep going until we get home to glory, to be honest. Mm. That's good.
5: That was really good. Um, I was was thinking about this. He gave us a question ahead of time. And it's like, man, I literally grew up in the hood, like, there was times I used to come home, lights cut off. My mother was a drug addict, like, like alcoholic, like hood to hood. And then I came to Christ and like pretty much like white evangelical, rich white evangelical. It wasn't even like poor white people. I didn't even know no poor white people, you know. So it's like I, I grew up in two different worlds. Like I, anybody in this room, I, I'm literally, I mean, we took the, the test white theologians i'll beat all of y'all like like i went to Reformed theological <laughs> seminary like I, i'd know all of, if they if they dead their book's still around i'd read it you know like and they white you know i grew up in that world you know um and then i mean you start seeing man yep that person you studied and, and you memorized his books like yeah he was slave owner you know like dang Mm. Man, what's you see? What's name tweet last week? Like, dang, man, he ain't for this movement. Black Lives Matter, he won't even say that. It's like, dang, I, I just took a quiz on this man. You know, it's like, like this, I quote everything he say at my black Bible study, you know. Um, mm. so I mean, in that season, I, I was like wrestling with all of that. Um, and then some of the people I led to the Lord, some of my close friends that been in my D groups, some of the pastors I look up to are, are musicians that black people they like, hey, man. Man, we out of this deal. We punting our faith. That's what I call it. Like, they out of this deal. They, they say they ditching the faith because of the white man, then, then let them down, and they find out half of them was racist and all that. Me, on the other hand, I'm like, dude, I, I, my faith has always been my own. Like, like that, that really is, I tell it to my, my boys. And I tell it to the dudes I disciple. Like, dude, even though, man, we've been discipled in the white evangelical world. Like, dude, my faith is my own. That's my Bible right there. Like, I got that one memorized. I, I meditated on day and night, and I've been following Jesus. And I understand that I probably shouldn't be quoting him at the Black Bible study no more. Mm-hmm. But, dude, I also understand, like, hey, man, the verse that connected to that quote, like, like that's that's something that's that's crucial. And people say deconstruction and all that stuff, good, and, and like, I'm 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 not against it at all. But, like. I deconstructed one of my iPhones one time because I was watching a YouTube video. That mug has no trading value to this day because I destroyed it. Like, I'm being serious. Like, so, so, so some of y'all, like, or, or some of my friends and even myself, it's like, man, I started deconstructing my faith and, it, and I did it apart from God's word. Mm. I'm just going to destroy it. Like, my faith was given All to me time. by God. He gave me a manuscript and that's his word. So as you're deconstructing your faith, you can't do it apart from Jesus and the Bible it leads to nothing and it don't matter what some white dude did or some white girl or even my mama like my mama did some stuff that kind of rattled my faith the, one of the one of the students white dude on campus who shared the gospel with me before i became a christian he punted his faith a month after i came to know the lord that rattled me like that messed me up like oh shoot like man i ain't letting this stuff um with other people's faith interrupt my faith because of man my faith is it's between me and god and then i love this guy this is my pastor this is my brother he punted that mother tomorrow. I'm still going to be showing up to church and worshiping God because he's worthy, though. Like, Come on, Doc.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Anybody else? I'll keep moving. Because um, uh, I do want to turn this redemptive in a way. And so um, we, we've talked about deconstructing. We've talked about just some of the events that have um, even in doubts and events that have impacted you in the last couple years. I, I love to hear, and you just touched on it a bit, Tony. Um, what has gotten you through? You know, talk about how the gospel, the Bible, um, what are some practices, even whether it be in community, things that you've done that has helped you through this process, um, weighing through your emotions and and, and race and the gospel here in America. Reverend, you got the the microphone. There you go.
3: (laughs) I got the mic and the look. All right, I guess I'll go. Um, Yeah, I think... um, one of the first things I had to do was, uh, was be honest with yeah. w- what was in front of me. Um, I think, to some of the last question as well, like um, I realized how much the gospel had fit into convenience for a lot of people. And uh, when we think about the gospel truth and what Jesus did, um, it was to grab the whole person right mm-hmm. not just their spirituality but it was their heart their mental their emotion their experience as well um and so much of that was like this response of like well you just need Jesus Jesus was present in those experiences yeah, yeah, when that. we read scripture he met the lowly the disenfranchised and i was like how much of that gospel was actual experience right yeah and have i just l- moved to lean on the, uh, let me give you this truth that should cure you all and, and go about your day. And there was this disconnect from these weighty passages of, of being told that the church rejoices with those who rejoice and mourns with those who mourn. Mm. Um, and so I had, to, I had to look at it and, I'm, and, and, and I guess be kind of cliche, right, like if Jesus was here today what would Jesus of the Bible look like? Where would he be? What would he be doing? Yeah, nah. Where would he, like, what would he be saying on Facebook and Twitter, right? Um, and that just, that, that stopped me to, because again, I, 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 I respect a lot of guys and, and they have said a lot of things. <clears throat> what I don't want to do is just throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have contributed in different ways. But they're man and they've missed it on some part as well um, and so I'm I, I'm looking at this space and I'm like man how do I take the beauty and depth of truth and make it something that I have ridiculed brothers of where I've come from yeah uh, you know I come from a, a predominantly Latino background of, of church which is super experiential um, and then I come to this more reformed side where it's like super heady and and very composed and i'm like how do i take this truth back to an experience mm. like i we need that yeah. because the pain we're feeling we're experiencing it we're not just thinking it we're experiencing it and so how do i bring that gospel to to be experienced again that's and good. there's presence
0: so that's good so tony you talk about the importance of the scripture you talk about the scripture but also looking at it through the lens of your your narrative and and having to navigate it that way. Lauren, you talked about something I think is really key too when we think about um, Bible and the scripture and gospel, but you talked about community. You talked about crossing lines and your friendships. And um, I I know that you've been on the phone many times, my wife, even just text messages, things like that. Um, And so as a white woman, I'd love to hear just kind of the importance of that for you, just being able to cross those lines um you're hugging somebody in Costco and you got me moving right now but just thinking about that because I think that's a space that we undervalue a lot we're like oh we're just going to read the bible but how does that translate into now crossing that line with someone else yeah. how does that help you
2: yeah i tell my kids all the time you can only control what you do like everyone else is going to be a mess like there's so much extra noise but if you're not living out what you believe and staying true to what you believe then you're going to be a mess with everyone else um so i think community is literally and covid screwed everything up right but community and having those relationships and being intentional about it like i can't tell you how many friends reached out like Mm. hey i know it's got to be hard robbie my husband had friends he hadn't talked to in probably 15 years being like hey, how you doing? Like, I know this is hard. And granted, it shouldn't take something like this to reach out, right? Right. That's kind of sad, really sad. But at least people are being intentional and being intentional with the relationships and the community. And like Tony said, like, your faith is your own. But if you're not living it out, and for me, it was like having those conversations, being like checking in on people, and I think it, it made me go inside myself too just to, like, how intentional am I being with the words I'm speaking, the emotional support I'm providing for my friends, and, I mean, my best friend, just being, like, her her husband's actually a police officer, too. And just being, like, what are, like, hearing people's stories Mm. and hearing where they're coming from and just giving them a space to speak was really good for me, just to be like, all right, it's time for me to just listen. And I learned a lot too. Like I'm not growing up in a white community mostly, being married to a black man. Like I had space to learn too. So it was a learning, growing. um, And yeah, you can read scripture. You can quote quote scripture until you're blue in the face. That's awesome. I think it's obviously great to read your Bible, but Mm -hmm. unless you're living it, like for me, if I'm not exemplifying that for my kids, if I'm not, giving them a chance to see all kinds of people in every different circumstance then like what kind of disservice am i doing for them so a lot of that was like internal processing and then external too having those tough conversations with people it was hard i it's like so many tears where i'm like why don't you understand like how this is a thing like it's it's a real thing for people and unless you've experienced it i don't know it was it was a tough Thing, but having your faith, and for me, it was that was the only thing. Like have, even reaching out, being like Kaylee, <laughs> I don't get this. I don't understand why people are struggling with. Why is it a mess out here? And having those conversations was That's vital good. to, I mean, survival.
0: It's <laughs> good. So I hear we, you know, we need to be in the scripture. We need to navigate the scripture in the in the lens of our narrative too but also not just read the scripture, but live it out. What, what do you say, as we're getting ready to end, and I wanna have a time of prayer after this, but um, you know, any of and you guys can jump in this, but there's someone that's sitting in here, someone that's working through this emotional trauma, whether through the, through the last few years, maybe some things have just risen up in their hearts and they're like, man, this is the space I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty messed up, there's some things that I need to weigh through. The person that's struggling in their faith, um, navigating all of this. What's something that you uh, would say to them as we, as we get ready to end to help them kind of navigate through that space? What, what's, what would you leave them with?
1: Um, I would just say for me, one thing that was helpful as I shared earlier with, uh, I think a low point for me was, uh, Breonna Taylor's death. And so feeling the depths of isolation, being alone, um, You start to believe lies, like, man, I'm the only one, you know, going through this, or, Mm. you know, the, the, your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings can become so dark, so captive, so just, sometimes you can feel inconsolable, and so I remember reading um, Genesis 17, with this scene of Abraham and Sarah taking their, you know, servant to try and have this baby, and then she gets cast cast out. You know, she is kind of thrown away. And then God meeting Hagar and saying, I see you. Mm. I'm the God who sees. And she, when I read that story, um, she is the one that my attention goes to every single time because she was the one who got the shortest end of the stick in the situation. Mm. But God took his time to minister, to love, to care for her, and see her. And so the situation wasn't perfect. It didn't even end out. It didn't end clean and, you know, tied with a bow on it. Uh, But she got something that I think we all should be striving for is to see God and be seen by him. Um, And so I think for me, I would just leave all of us with, um, if you're feeling, you know, some type of way, isolated, alone, whatever, like I, you know, where do I fit in this conversation? I don't. God sees, like God sees you, um, and you did not get destroyed at the end of the stick because you have God. Um, you have Him walking with you through all of this, and so that's one of the scriptures that's really been holding me and, and grounding me.
0: That's good.
3: I think uh, one, uh, man, a couple things. I I think we um, have to build this uh, beauty of of God's uniqueness in our ethnicity and and him caring for that. And so I think of Revelations that talks about this, you know, coming of every tongue, every tribe, every nation. uh, And sitting in that place and just being present for people because God cares about this. Mm -hmm. God cares about the diversity of the room. Because heaven will be diverse. Yeah. And um, I think of I think of Paul in, in Romans when he's talking about not being ashamed of the gospel. One of the aspects that he's touching on is he's saying, I'm not going to be ashamed of a gospel that is for everybody. Yeah. Right? For the Jew and the, the Gentile. And that was for the religious people in the room, the, the Jews at the time that wanted separation. I want us to get back to a place that says, Man, this gospel is for everyone and it's and it's because it comes from a god that cares for the ones that he has made you and i alike no matter our differences no matter what we look at but you have real experiences so let's be present with one another yeah and so um just coming back to this big beautiful gospel that celebrates diversity because it celebrates god and his creative plan
0: so amen amen can you all just give it up for the panel and just, it's been a great conversation. I'm going to let them go ahead and you guys can take your seats and we'll get ready for communion. Uh, as we get ready for communion this morning, before I pray and we get ready to worship, I, I want to leave you with a couple scriptures. And they've touched on it throughout this conversation. And one uh, passage of scripture that is always uh, near and dear to my heart when I think about our church and I think about uh, being a multi-ethnic, multi congregation and coming together, people all across Chicago, different narratives and backgrounds. When you read John 17 as Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's this high priestly prayer, he's praying for oneness. Now, oneness is not uniformity, so uh, that means that all of our stories are distinct, they're different, and they're needed to bring about this tapestry, if you want to say, of God's people coming together. And so he wants us to be one, and I want to read parts of this prayer. Uh, Verse 11, he says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Skip down to verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples and those following him at the time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, everybody say world, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And what you see here is a visual of what God wants his church to be like. That's one. Again, that's not uniformity, so that means all of us coming together, hearing stories like this and trauma and emotions and things that we have gone through and what makes us who we are. But the Christian faith isn't to be just this. Uh, this this faith of sameness where we all are the same across ethnic lines and it's all one culture and we can't shout in church grace. Y'all can shout in here. I want y'all shouting. But it's one that's lived through our narratives and we have to actually um, remember the first narrative, the one that we're basing our narrative around, which is Jesus. But at the same token, he gives us an ethnic experience, uh, a background that we come into this space with And in order for us to appreciate and get to know one another in that experience, we got to have conversations like this. And so I want you all intentionally to go away remembering what Jesus says in his prayer is that we will be one. And that doesn't happen unless we have these conversations, unless we reach across the table and we talk with one another and engage each other in hard spaces. And so that's my prayer for our church, if we want to be the church that God has called us to be. Renewal, where we bring together people from all different backgrounds worshiping Jesus Christ, is that we would sit in those spaces, those hard places, and slip on the boots of somebody else, and we wouldn't be able to see the world or our faith even the, the same way that we've seen it our whole life. One of, the, one of the compliments, I'm going to say it's a compliment throughout the last, through the inception of Renewal, uh, Luke Greer, some of you guys know him, he's, he's been an elder here at our church. One thing he says to me, and he said throughout the last few years, he's like, man, I can't read the scripture the same now. He said, I can't read the scripture the same without seeing a multi-ethnic church, without seeing an ethnic experience. And that is because of life we've done together. And so you see that lived out here on this stage and we don't have it all together. Obviously you saw we got mess in our lives too, but we need to be able to bring that out, talk about it, walk with one another and see God's glory In our church brought about because of us walking with one another. So what I want to do right now as we get into this time of communion, if you need a communion cup, they'll bring them up here. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to have uh, Steve and Ramon, anybody that was on the panel, you guys can stand up here. And I want you all, I just want to have a time of prayer during this uh, time of worship. I want us to worship, but I want us to pray with one another. Don't leave this place the same way you came in. Amen, somebody? I mean, let me pray for us, and we'll get ready to take communion. Father, thank you for you, God. Thank you for this amazing conversation. Thank you for uh, just how you've been good to us. God, I do pray and ask right now that as we enter a time of taking communion with one another, and we remember your death, burial, resurrection, your, status, your, your, your sacrifice on our behalf, that it wouldn't go in vain, but it'd be something that we remember as we engage one another and cross lines with each other. That we will be one as you called us to be, but realizing in that journey, it's going to be some heartache and some pain because of sin and because of our mess. But as we work through it, God, we'll know that we're being, called, we're being the church that you've called us to be, and we're bringing glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen